Chapter 5 of Sefloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Neela, Iowa City, Iowa. Sefloya by Charlotte Dacre. Chapter 5. A year had now elapsed since the death of Laura Donny. The melancholy events which had characterized that period had become fainter and fainter in the mind of Lorena. The journeys of inquiry had long since ceased, and on the subject of her departure from the society of Ardolf, the perjured wife no more expatiated. They did not reside in the city of Venice, but still at Montebello, some few miles distant, for the circumstances, still unforgotten, with which their names were connected, would have caused them to be viewed with disdain and indignation by the higher classes of society. They remained, therefore, at their villa, and thither contrived to attract most of the dissolute and many of the thoughtless inhabitants of Venice, for the aggregate of the world will run even into the very dens of profligacy for amusement, as in a few individuals alone is it vested to be the censors of vice. Montebello resounded to the voice of mirth and folly. Reflection appeared to be banished, and those events which should have been engraved in characters of blood upon the hearts of its inmates appeared rapidly sinking into oblivion, or to be remembered only with indifference. It happened that among the gay Venetians who frequented their society was one called Il Conte Barenza. He was a man of peculiar sentiments, an extraordinary character. He came not to Montebello in search of amusement, nor merely from indolence. He came from an investigating spirit to analyze its inhabitants and to discover, if possible, from the result of his own observation, whether the mischief they had caused and the conduct they pursued arose from a selfish depravity of heart or was induced by the force of inevitable circumstances. He came to investigate character and to increase his knowledge of the human heart. He found, however, or fancied that he found, but little to interest the consideration of the liberal philosopher in the relative situations of Ardolf and Lorena. He concluded in his mind that they had voluntarily rushed into evil and had possessed the power to have withdrawn themselves in time from the dangerous vortex. He therefore viewed them with contempt and dislike, unmixed with the slightest portion of pity. He beheld wretches who had studied alone their own gratification, wholly unmindful of the mischiefs they might cause in its achievement. Under this impression, he regarded with eyes of no common interest the young Victoria. Pride alone forbade his soliciting her hand, for never yet had Baranza beheld a female whose character he imagined so formed to constitute his happiness. Nay, so ardent in his admiration was the misguided philosopher, misguided in this instance, that had no dishonor in his idea been attached to the unfortunate girl, he would have made her his wife upon speculation and relied upon the power he believed himself to possess over the human mind for modeling her afterwards so as perfectly to assimilate to his wishes. Her wild and imperious character he would have essayed to render noble, firm, and dignified. Her fierte he would have softened and her boldness checked. 
Lorenza knew not, so unconscious is the heart of man of the springs of his own movements, that it was the graceful, elegant form and the animated countenance of Victoria that led him to form her strongly marked character, the best and most flattering estimate. She was at this period about seventeen. The age of Lorenza was five and thirty. His person was majestic, and his countenance, though serious, possessed a sweetness of expression that riveted and delighted the eye. But it was not this so much that engaged the attentions and allured the fancy of the young Victoria. No, it was the flattering remark that herself exclusively attracted his regards, regards which the natural haughtiness and apparent coldness of his character rendered peculiarly gratifying to her vain mind. It was for this she sought this society and courted his notice, till Berenza, wound almost to a pitch of enthusiasm, scarcely lived but in the hope of calling her his. Attachments his philosophic mind had none, excepting to a brother some years younger than himself, who was at this time absent from Italy, to divert the melancholy of an almost hopeless passion. His thoughts and wishes, therefore, centered in Victoria with undivided ardor. It may naturally be supposed that the character of Victoria, by nature more prone to evil than to good, and requiring at once the strong curb of wisdom and example to regulate it, had not since the death of her father obtained much opportunity of improvement. She saw, exemplified in the conduct of her mother, the flagrant violation of a most sacred oath. She saw every principle of delicacy and of virtue apparently contemned, and although the improper bias of her mind led her infinitely to prefer the gay though horrible state of degradation in which she lived to the retirement and seclusion so strongly insisted on by the dying Marchese, yet she had reflection and discrimination enough fully to perceive and condemn the flagitious disregard those dying commands had received. But Victoria was a girl of no common feelings. Her ideas wildly wandered, and to every circumstance and situation she gave rather the vivid coloring of her own heated imagination than that of truth. Barenza had awakened in her breast feelings and passions which had till now remained dormant, mighty, and strong, like the slumbering lion, even in their inactivity. Slight, indeed, was the spur which they required to rouse them. She had ever contemplated the seductive and, in appearance, delightful union of her mother with Ardolf with such sentiments as were at the time inexplicable to herself. But when Berenza singled her out, when he addressed her in the language of love, she then discovered that her sentiments were those of envy, of an ardent, consuming desire to be situated like that unhappy mother, like her to receive the attentions, listen to the tenderness, and sink beneath the ardent glances of a lover. Such, such were the baleful effects of parental vice upon the mind of a daughter, a mind that required the strongest power of precept and virtuous conduct to correct it. At length, then, with secret exultation, she exclaimed, at length, I, too, have found a lover. I shall now be as happy as my mother, at least if Berenza should love me as Count Ardolf loves her. 
But it happened that the heart of Baremza had acquired a real passion, while that of Victoria was susceptible only of novel and seducing sensations, of anticipations of future pleasure. Baremza loved. Victoria was only roused and flattered. Upon consideration, but not certainly impartial consideration, the enamored philosopher concluded that it would not be an act of baseness or guilt to withdraw Victoria from her present dangerous and ineligible situation, to acknowledge his passion to her, and induce her, if possible, to abandon the contaminated roof under which she resided. The pride of the Venetian, however, must have been stronger than his love, for it rejected the idea of making her his wife while he determined to leave no means untried to cause her to become his mistress. Pursuant to this idea, he sought the earliest opportunity of obtaining a private interview with Victoria. An opportunity early presented itself, and having declared to his delighted auditress the ardent love with which she had inspired him, he delicately but frankly proposed to her the plan upon which he had for some time past suffered himself to dwell enraptured. The boldly organized mind, the wild and unrestrained sentiments of Victoria, prevented her from being offended at the proposition of Berenza. Had she for an instant conceived that his strict ideas deemed her incapable of being legally his, she must, with all her desire for a lover, have spurned him indignantly from her. But pride here acted as a preservative of pride, and her vanity easily led her to believe that Berenza thought marriage a degrading and unnecessary tie to love like his. Under this impression she gave him her hand. Berenza seized it with ardor, as earnest of consent, and, seating himself at the feet of his mistress, who smiled with high and unusual joy, he entered more fully into his arrangements, and the means by which he proposed she should quit Montebello, unsuspected. Victoria listened with lively emotions, pleasure flushed triumphant her animated cheek, and shone in her wild eyes with an almost painful brilliancy. Her heart glowed with the love of enterprise. She felt capable of deeds which, though in their conception, they dilated and seduced her soul. She could neither comprehend nor identify, but she felt inspired for action, and the enthusiasm which burnt in her bosom lighted up every feature with lambent and ethereal fire. Suddenly, in the very midst of her felicitations, while Berenza, still at her feet, was pouring in her intoxicated ears his various plans for their future happiness, in rushed rage and horror depicted in her countenance the half-frantic Lorena. "'Wretch!' she exclaimed, seizing violently the arm of Victoria. "'Wretch! Is it Thus you recompense my indulgence toward you, the fond, the foolish confidence which your mother has ever placed in you? And you, Signor Berenza, monster of depravity, is it thus you recompense the hospitality of Count Ardolf in seeking to seduce our only happiness, the innocent Victoria? Signora, replied Berenza with a disdainful smile, you are indeed well qualified to arraign those who trample on the rights of hospitality. 
The eyes of the conscience-struck Lorena sought for an instant the ground. Her countenance became suffused with a guilty flush. Her heart beat with violence, and scarcely could she support her trembling frame. Berenza, with dignified calmness, took the hand of Victoria. I do not, he continued, in a firm, deliberate voice. I do not plead guilty to the charge of attempting to seduce your daughter. I wish, he added in a severe accent, to save her from seduction. Pardon me if I say that under this roof, I conceive it inevitably awaits her. Victoria, cried Lorena, recovering from her agitation, but awed by the manner of Berenza from applying to him. Victoria, I command you to leave the room. Yes, for the first time in my life, I command you never more to hold converse with Ilkant Berenza. Berenza fixed his proud and inquiring eyes upon the countenance of Victoria. Whether she caught a spark of the fire which emanated from them, or thus for the first time asserted the bold and independent sentiments of her bosom, is immaterial. But withdrawing proudly her hand from Berenza, as though she needed not his aid, and advancing a few steps towards her mother, she thus replied, "'That you never, Signora, commanded me till now is true. That you command me now, when it is too late, is equally so. I determined to quit this roof, which is no protection to me, for that of Ilcant Berenza, which I trust will be.' "'Oh, Victoria, Victoria, art thou mad?' exclaimed Lorena." clasping her hands and now beginning to feel the terrible commencement of those retributive pangs so justly ordained as the punishment of those parents who corrupt their children. Art thou mad, my child, or wouldst thou voluntarily plunge me in eternal disgrace? Plunge you in disgrace, contemptuously returned Victoria. Oh, my child, my child, cried the distracted mother, sinking under the overpowering excess of remorseful anguish. Wouldst thou indeed abandon me? You abandoned me, my brother and my father, sternly replied the torturing Victoria. Oh, daughter, oh, Victoria, groaned Lorena. This from thee. Mother, Eternally hast thou disgraced us, she replied. For me, no one has ever thought me worthy of love but Ilkant Berenza. Let me then accept his love and be happy. Why, I ask you, should considerations of your happiness sway me in opposition to my own? When you loved Count Ardolf, you know, mother, that you fled with him regardless of the misery you gave my father. Do you not remember, too, "'Cease, Scorpion, cease, for God's sake!' shrieked Lorena in agony. "'Let me, then, depart with Ilkant Berenza. "'Remember, it is your fault,' pursued the pitiless girl, "'that ever I saw him. "'Had you but kept the oath, the oath, mother, "'that you swore at the deathbed of my father!' The images conjured up by the forked tongue of a reproaching child were too much even for the guilty Lorena to endure, and in a convulsion of irrepressible anguish she sunk upon the floor. 
Baranza, who had at first listened with delight and surprise to the independence of spirit, as he considered it, evinced by the undaunted Victoria, now became visibly shocked at her persevering and remorseless cruelty to a mother whose personal tenderness for her at least merited some little gratitude. Scarcely willing to analyze if his love for her had not already somewhat diminished by the display of a trait so offensive to a delicate and feeling mind as filial ingratitude and unkindness, he approached and raised Lorena from the floor. When she became in a degree recovered, he assisted her with respectful forbearance to her chamber, and whispering to Victoria in a rather serious voice to be tender towards her mother, retired and left them together. But the slight shade of reserve which marked the countenance of Berenza as he waved his hand to Victoria in parting had not failed to make even more than its due impression on her. Her vivid imagination easily led her to trace the occasion of his altered air. She saw that her cruel recriminations of her mother had excited his disgust. Alarmed at the remotest idea of becoming indifferent to him, she instantly determined on regaining his esteem. Approaching her weeping mother, therefore, with a conciliating air, she endeavored to soothe her into composure. But having awakened the remorse of the conscious Lorena, she no sooner beheld in the artful Victoria a disposition to softness than she resolved to take immediate advantage of it to withdraw her, if possible, from the vortex of guilt and libertinism into which she saw her plunging. A keener pang assailed the heart of the mother as she acknowledged in dreadful conviction the fatal effects of her own example. To alleviate, therefore, the tortures of her mind, to save her loaded conscience from its such an addition of guilt, she sought with energy to preserve her daughter. To every persuasion, however, even to every supplication to give up her distracting resolution without reserve, the wild, impassioned Victoria was wholly deaf. The utmost that Lorena could obtain was a reluctant promise to see El Conte Berenza no more for that day. Even this would not have been granted had not the deeply meaning Victoria imagined that by debarring her lover from seeing her for a few hours, he would begin so far to feel the loss of her society as wholly to forget, in his uneasiness, the cause he had for displeasure against her. Lorena, after some hours of more poignant wretchedness than she had almost ever experienced, separated at length for the night from her daughter. She flew instantly to Ardolf and imparted to him this new and unexpected cause, to her, of unhappiness. So keen, indeed, were her compunctious feelings that with bitter tears she vowed she would quit him on the morrow and retire at once, with Victoria, to some seclusion, where experience now convinced her she ought long since to have been. Ardolf listened without interruption. When Lorena paused, he looked at her with tender seriousness and said, that a union like ours, Lorena, cemented by ties and by circumstances, which, however they may be considered by the prejudiced and misjudging, nothing should have the power of annulling, but such an union should be either innovated or destroyed by the impudent caprice of a forward girl, admits not of a thought. Listen to what I have to propose, and let Victoria, as she ought, reap the fruits of her audacity. 
it would be easy for me to forbid Il Conte Barenza to remain here another hour. It would be easy to imprison Victoria in her chamber and prevent them from seeing each other. But we shall have recourse to no compulsory measures. On the contrary, to such only as shall be at once simple, cool, and effective. It is most probable that Il Conte Barenza has never had occasion to correspond with your daughter. He is therefore ignorant of her handwriting. Do you then draw up a few lines, supposed to the following effect? Dear Barenza, owing to the unhappiness manifested by my mother, I have agreed to deny myself, for a little time, the pleasure of seeing you. I therefore entreat of you to return to Venice, and when the effect produced by present circumstances shall in some degree have worn off, I will gladly write to you to return. Let these or a few similar lines be conveyed at once to Barenza, and you will find the effect produced will be an immediate and voluntary absence from hence. The instant he departs for Venice, Victoria shall quit this abode. Without me, do you mean, Ardolf? We will both escort her hence, Lorena, and she shall be too securely lodged, evermore to interrupt our happiness. And now, that an idea strikes me, he hastily added, perceiving that Lorena was on the point of speaking, and determined to drown her objections. I have an admirable seclusion for her. In our excursions last year, Lorena, we made at one time a short stay, as you doubtless call to mind, with your cousin, the Signora di Medina. She resides, I think, near Treviso. Nothing can be more retired, more fitted for Victoria than her abode. The Signora di Medina was singularly polite and courteous towards me, smiling as he spoke. Come, come, my Lorena, no objections, but on this matter we will talk further. Meantime, should even Barenza, finding that he is not recalled by his mistress, venture hither, we can receive him with marked coolness. When he no longer perceives the lodestar of his attraction, he will naturally conceive that we have purposely withdrawn her, and having certainly no claim to an explanation, he will speedily and in chagrin desert us. Thus, he added in a gayer tone, shall we be rid of every source of trouble and uneasiness. And thus, my beloved, you perceive there is no immediate necessity for separating the soul from the body. To tear yourself from me, to whom you are more even than soul. No, we must not bend to circumstances. We must make them subservient to us. No human being, nor any consideration on earth, earth, he added, in an emphatic voice, must now, Lorena, separate thee and me. But come, resuming the gaiety of his manner, to business. Lorena mechanically took up a pen, and as Ardolf dictated, traced something similar to what has already been given. The letter finished, it was conveyed to Berenza, by a female servant of Lorena's, who was ordered not to wait for any answer. The feelings of Baranza, as he read characters which he never for a moment doubted had been traced by the hand of Victoria, were such as to the line of conduct they instigated him to adopt, highly favorable to the views of Count Ardolf. But Baranza was not displeased by the perusal. Nay, it is uncertain 
if he had not even a contrary sentiment, for he believed that Victoria's declining to see him for a short time was merely an atonement offered by her for her recent misconduct to an insulted and wounded mother. As such, therefore, he felt with genuine goodness disposed to concede to her idea, and believing that his departure might assist to establish that harmony which his presence had interrupted, and which it was absolutely requisite to the ultimate achievement of his own wishes should be restored, he determined to lose no time but to quit Montebello at once, for the purpose of being enabled to return to it hereafter with better prospects of success. He experienced, too, something like a sensation of pleasure that Victoria should evince remorse for the pain she had inflicted upon a doting parent, and perceiving, in addition, that a prompt departure would avoid some unpleasant and perhaps very serious explanation with Count Ardolph, he called instantly, under the impression of these ideas, for his servant, and ordered him to get ready for returning to Venice. He had, indeed, a slight inclination to leave a line for Victoria, but upon reflection, thinking it might only tend to irritate Lorena against him, he determined to dispense even with this, and all being very soon prepared for his short journey, with a bright Italian sky sparkling over his head, and the moon to light him on his way, Il Conte Barenza bade adieu to Monte Bello. End of chapter 5